0: 2nd Peter chapter 3 this morning, if you would please, 2nd Peter chapter 3. I'm going to read verses 10 through the end of the chapter. It says, But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. Seeing that you look for such things, be diligent that you may be found of him in peace, without spot, and blameless. And account the long suffering of our Lord is salvation, even as our beloved brother Paul, also according to the wisdom given unto him, hath written unto you. As also in all his epistles, speaking in them of these things, in which are some things hard to be understood, which they that are unlearned and unstable rest, as they do also the other scriptures unto their own destruction. Ye therefore, beloved, seeing ye you know these things before, beware lest ye also, being led away with the error of the wicked, shall fall from your own steadfastness, but go, grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be glory, both now and forever. Amen. I want to preach this morning, living in light of the day of the Lord living in the light of the day of the Lord. So let's look to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for the privilege and opportunity we have to open your precious word. I pray that as we look into the word of God that we be encouraged and strengthened. We understand the times in which we're living. We're living in a, great, a day of great turning away, of a great apostasy. And even the things we see in our nation are troubling. But yet, Father, we know that You're still on the throne. We can have confidence and assurance. That you will keep your word. And one day you are coming for us. And you will give us grace and strength. To be faithful. Until you do come. So Lord I pray that. Even in the midst of a troubled world. That you'd help us and strengthen us. As we look to a new year. I pray that we would strengthen our resolve purpose to be steadfast and unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. So we pray that you'd help us and strengthen us, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Of course, the subject of this passage is the second coming of Christ, particularly the day of the Lord, and it's a reminder, of course, Peter uses the word remember or remembrance three or four times in, this, in, this, uh, in these three chapters. He uses the word mindful. Uh, he tells us not to be ignorant of his coming in, here in chapter 3. In fact, he says the world, they're willingly ignorant, verse 5. Just like, the, just like we see in, in our world today, people are willingly ignorant of the truth. You know, they can, some, some can say that, you know, you know, the, uh, like Chuck Schumer said in 2009, we need a wall. Now he says we don't need a wall. What? What is it? It's, it's ignorance. It's just plain lying. It's ignorance. Things are willingly ignorant of, and people are willingly ignorant of Bible truth. The majority of what you call Christendom is ignorant of biblical truth. Yeah, you know, <clears throat> like like I said last Sunday. Or two weeks ago, I guess maybe it was, or maybe it's Thursday night. I can't remember. My memory's not too good. <clears throat> uh, happens when you get older. But but uh, you know, one lady said, "Well, we this isn't the '90s, but the Bible hasn't changed." You know, Peter still tells us in the context of all the problems. In fact, he talks about the apostasy in chapter two extensively. But in the midst of all that. He says that we're to be, in verse 11, seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought ye to be in all holy conversation and godliness? So in spite of all this, God still has enabled and expects us to live godly and holy. You know, know, this isn't a political message, but just think about the times we're living in. Uh, Brother, Brother Danford sent, sent a text out a few of us preachers asking us to pray for our nation. You know there have been records set um, and not good records with this new congress. More women than ever before. Openly anti-Israel congressmen. One congressman on a map of the world she has a sticky note I saw a picture of a sticky note and wrote Palestine on the sticky note and placed it over the nation of Israel on the map she's a Palestinian they're vulgar Um, you know they were sworn in they wouldn't swear in on the Bible Uh, several of them sworn in on the Koran One used the Constitution. I don't know why, because she doesn't believe it. You know, we see all these things happening in our nation, and that's a sign of apostasy, when women rule over us. But despite all that, you know, the Lord is coming, and we are to live in light of that coming, not in light of what's happening in the world. So I want to notice several things here this morning. First of all, the surety of his coming. In verse 10 he says, The day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in the which the heavens shall pass away with great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat, and the earth also, and the works that are therein shall be burned up. Now, the coming here he's talking about is when he's going to come to ruin reign. It's not talking about the rapture of the saints. The rapture of the saints is going to be selective. God's going to call out his children and take us all home. Those of us who are saved are all going to be caught up. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 talks about that. And of course then that's going to after that time will be the seven year tribulation period and then he's going to return to earth with his saints. Revelation 19 records that for us. And this is that time of, uh, that he's talking about here and, and, it, and then he's going to rule and reign a thousand years And then the earth is going to be, again, there's going to be another great battle. And the earth is going to be remade or renovated. And that's what this is really talking about here. It will come. All these things will come. It is as certain as the sun comes up in the morning. There's certainty. It's a statement of certainty. Just as Romans 10, 13, Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord, shall be saved. That's a statement of certainty. If we will if we will repent of our sin and call, that means to ask or beseech God to save us. He will. He will. We can rest assured on that. God will keep His promises. Now, when it says as a thief in the night, it simply means there are going to be those that don't know. Or totally caught unaware. Again, Peter tells us earlier in the passage in verse 5, for this they willingly are ignorant of. These are the same kind of people that deny there was a flood. And that's, of course, it talked about that earlier in the passage. Uh, and they're willingly ignorant of the fact that the Lord has made heaven and earth and it is, it is on His timetable and one day He's going to come and set all things right. And so He comes a, as a thief in the night. You know, and you know, Night was when work ceases, deeds of shame and 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 things are done in the power of darkness, and it will surprise and shock a lot of people. And and you know we all know we all know there are thieves around, but most people think it'll never happen to me. So guess what? They don't do. They don't prepare. You know, and some some thieves can even. You know, the biggest thefts that are done today are done without breaking and entering. At least physically, identity theft. But see, the attitude of many is even at that. Well, I know it happens sometimes, but it, it, you know, it it, it it won't happen to me. I know I should think about it, but not now. How many people have you ever witnessed to it? Say, well, I you know yeah but not now maybe sometime and so he's warning us be not ignorant you are not without responsibility god is going to hold us all accountable one day we must all appear be, uh, before the judgment seat of christ and everyone must give an account of himself before god and so we have been forewarned that his coming is sure And now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. You know, we need to be prepared. For His coming is certain. So we see the surety of His coming. Secondly, we see the severity of His judgment. In verses 10 through 12, it's quite descriptive. He talks about great noise. Elements shall melt. Fervent heat. The word great noise has the idea of a massive explosion. A massive explosion, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The element speaks of the rudiments or the basic elements in biology. It's the parts incompletely developed, like an embryonic stage. So it has to do with the very the the the, the parts that make up everything you see in the world. The elements. The word fervent heat is used in verses eleven and twelve. And only two t- times it's used this way. And it means to do away with, to completely destroy. Now, just think for a little bit. Think of about all the explosives that man has made. Now, many times there's things that we don't think are explosive that are. What that guy blew up the federal building with in Oklahoma? Fertilizer. Do you know how much fertilizer was sitting in my dad's barn in the spring of the year? And he was a small farmer. We only farmed 200 acres. Some of them farm thousands of acres. That's we're not even talking about all the gasoline. That's sitting in the gas stations. And weapons of mass destruction like nuclear weapons. And and then you add to that the elements of water. You know, we don't think of water as something that could be explosive. But it's made up of two things. Hydrogen and oxygen. Both are very explosive. Explosive. See, one of these days, this earth is going to be a burning bomb. Look at Isaiah chapter 13. Isaiah chapter 13. Isaiah spoke of this <clears throat> in Isaiah 13, verse 9 through 11. Isaiah 13, verse 9. It says, Behold, the day of the Lord cometh, cruel both with wrath and fierce anger, to lay the land desolate, and he shall destroy the sinners thereof out of it. For the stars of heaven and the constellations thereof shall not give their light. The sun shall be darkened in his going forth, and the moon shall not cause her light to shine. And I will punish the world for their evil, and the wicked for their iniquity, and I will cause the arrogancy of the proud to cease, and I will lay low the haughtiness of the terrible." God's going to one day punish the world for their evil and their wicked for their iniquity. In Joel chapter 2, verses 30 and 31, the Bible says, And I will show wonders in the heavens and in the earth, blood and fire and pillars of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon in the blood before the great and terrible day of the Lord come. Even the book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 12, Verses 25-27, through 27. Hebrews 12, 25-27, the Bible says, See that ye refuse not him that speaketh, for if they escape not who refused him that spake on earth, much more shall not we escape if we turn away from him that speaketh from heaven, whose voice then shook the earth, but now he hath promised, saying, Yes, once more I shall shake not the earth only, but also heaven." And this word yet once more signifieth the removing of those things that are shaken as of things that are made, that those things which cannot be shaken may remain. See, one of these days, the Lord is going to judge the world for their iniquity. Just as God judged Egypt with all the plagues of Moses on the Egyptians for their wickedness against God. And so we see that this, there's going to be a surety of us coming, the severity of his judgment. This judgment, of course, will be carried out on all the wicked that dwell on the earth. But I want you to notice the third thing, the security of the child of God. If you notice in verses 13 through 18, Nevertheless we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth, wherein dwelleth righteousness. Wherefore... Beloved, seeing that ye look for such things, be diligent that ye may find in him in peace without spot and blameless. And so we see here the, the security of the child of God and we can rest assured that, we can, that God will keep his promises to us. He has promised us a new heaven and a new earth wherein dwells righteousness. Righteousness. And in verse 17, he goes on and says, Ye therefore, beloved, seeing ye know these things before, in other words, you know them before it actually comes to pass. You know before the time comes that God is going to judge this world, and you know he's going to prepare a new heaven and a new earth, wherein dwells righteousness. Knowing these things, beloved, beware lest ye also, being led away with the air of the wicked, fall from your own steadfastness. You see, we know these things. We have been enlightened. We've had the Word of God shed abroad in our hearts and we know these things. We can know the plan and will of God. He's revealed it to us in His Word. There is no reason for a child of God to be ignorant of these things. Ignorance is really willful ignorance. Pharisees were willingly ignorant. People today are willingly ignorant. He has revealed these things to us. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Verses 7 through 10. 1 Corinthians 2 verse 7. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery. Even the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the world unto our glory. "...which none of the princes of this world knew, for had they known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, I hath not seen, nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. But God hath revealed them unto us by his Spirit. For the Spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God." See, God hath revealed them unto us, but they're revealed to us by his Spirit." And verse 14 says, But the natural man receiveth not things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him, neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. You see, the Pharisees didn't understand, because they they were in their human nature. They had never received the Spirit of God. They refused to believe what Christ said. In fact, they credited what he said to the devil. Therefore, they were blind and did not understand. No, we can, we, can have, we can have understanding in these things. They have been revealed to us, we've been enlightened. You know, both Peter and Paul, Peter, or Paul in, in his, his, his uh, epistle to the Thessalonians, told him, I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep. In chapter 5, he says, I don't want you to be ignorant concerning the day of the Lord. There's no need to be ignorant. God's revealed them to us in his word. But you know, we have to be willing to receive it. We have to be willing to receive it. So there's our illumination. There's also should be expectation or a looking for. If you notice again, in uh, verse 14, wherefore, beloved, see that ye look for such things. Verse 12, looking for and hasting unto. Verse 13, nevertheless, we according to his promise look for new heavens and new earth. So he, he says over and over again, we're to be looking for. We need to be looking for such things. Do you know why people were ignorant? Because they're not looking for it. You know, the astronauts went to the moon. Now, some of the earlier ones went up there and read from the Bible. Some of the later ones went up there and said, you yeah, know, they didn't find God. Well, they didn't find God because they weren't looking for him. Policemen don't look, or, or I'm sorry, thieves do not look for police. And wicked men with wicked hearts will not look for God and will not look for his promise. And when we don't want to do the will of God, guess what? We're not looking for it. You and I, as even as his children, if we don't want to do it, we don't look for it. We just seek to go our own way and do our own thing. remember Pastor Webb saying one time, he told one person, you might as well go do it. Your heart's set on doing it anyway. You know it's not right, but you, your heart's set on doing it. You might as well go ahead. And they did. To their own destruction. See there ought to be an expectation. A looking for. Enoch. Looked for God. Noah looked to God. And found a way through the flood. And we ought to look for this new heaven and new earth. Well in. Wherein dwelleth righteousness. So there ought to be an expectation. And if there's an expectation, there ought to also be a preparation. If you notice in verse 18, he says, But grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forever. Amen. So if there's a if we have understanding, if we've been illuminated by the Spirit of God, and we're expecting or looking for His coming, uh, we ought to be preparing for it. In fact, John tells us in one John chapter three, verses one through three, Behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore, the world knoweth us not, because it knew Him not. Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself, even as he is pure. So if we have the hope, if we are looking for, if we're expecting him to come for us, if there's anticipation in our life of his coming, the Bible says we have that hope, we will be purifying ourselves. In other words, we'll be preparing ourselves for that coming. Just like a bride prepares herself for her husband. There's, ex- you know, there's excitement at weddings. I know most mothers cry. But it's not, at least it shouldn't be, tears of remorse. I know marriage is a life sentence, but it's a wonderful one. It's tears of joy. you know. Uh, 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 the, and so think of a bride preparing herself for a husband. A husband prepares for his bride. Jesus is going to prepare a place for us. You know, a husband is to prepare a home for his bride. And Jesus is going to prepare a home for us. John 14 tells us that. But we ought to be preparing preparing ourselves for that home. And it gives us two things here. We're to grow in grace and in knowledge. Now grace is defined as the spiritual condition of one governed by the power of divine grace or divine favor. So is your life governed by the grace of God? We we call him our Lord Jesus Christ. Does the grace of our Lord govern our life? In verse 11 he says, that uh, seeing then that all these things are revealed, what manner of persons ought ye to be in all holy conversation and godliness? And so our life ought to be governed by the power of God's divine grace, and it should demonstrate the working of that grace of God, and, and 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 it ought to show in our life by holiness a holy conversation, which is the way we live and conduct ourselves, and godliness or a godlikeness. Look at Second Peter. Chapter One. Second Peter, Chapter One, Verse Two. Grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of our Lord Jesus Christ, according as the divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness, through the knowledge of Him that hath called us to glory and virtue. Whereby, so by this divine grace of God, there's given us these things, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises that by these you might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. So by the grace of God, we ought to be able to escape the corruption or the destruction that will destroy us in this world. The wages of sin is death. Sin is destructive. And then he says in verse 5, Beside this, giving all diligence, again, by the grace of God, giving all diligence, add your faith, virtue, Virtue, knowledge. To knowledge, temperance. Temperance has the idea of self control or discipline. Patience. And to patience, godliness. And to godliness, brotherly kindness. And to brotherly kindness, charity. For if these things be in you and abound, they make you be, that ye shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But he that lacketh these things is blind and cannot see afar off, and hath forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. Somebody has said, quote, God, through his grace, has brought us into the highest conceivable position, unquote. You will know, think about the, the things we just read here. Of faith, virtue, knowledge, temperance, patience, godliness, brotherly kindness, and charity. You know, if everybody in the world was striving to, to have those qualities evident in their life, what kind of world would we live in? There'd be no murders. There'd be no rape. We wouldn't even need police. You know, temperance is governing yourself. That's really what temperance is. Governing yourself. Bringing yourself under the control. And, and self doesn't control self. You need an outside influence to control self. Or an outside motivator to control self. You know, many people, even unsaved people, motivate themselves for some reason or other to discipline themselves. But they have some motivation beyond themselves. We as God's people need the Spirit of God to control self. James tells us, no man yet tameth his own tongue. The tongue can no man tame, it says. Now, some may brag or boast about how they can discipline themselves, but usually there's some other motivation for it besides themselves. But these are the things that God has, through grace, we can make evident in our life part of our life by the grace of God. And God is continuous once continually desires to work through us, by his grace, to perfect us, and to impart to us gifts to serve Him. For example, Romans twelve three says, For I say through the grace given unto me to every man that is among you not to think of himself more highly than you ought to think. But to think soberly, according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. So God has given to every person a measure of faith. And the question is, what are we going to do with it? You know I have the same amount of muscles, same number of muscles. as have Schwarzenegger or the Incredible Hulk. I just haven't exercised them as much. But I have the same number. You see, we're all given the measure of faith. It's what we do with it. See, one of the criticisms of the Hebrews, and Hebrews was, they didn't exercise faith. They didn't exercise. Think of the the parable of the talents. Some of them, two of them, exercised faith. They exercised their talents. They used their abilities and gained five or ten more. One did nothing with it. He didn't exercise it. He went and buried it. God doesn't want us to bury what he's given to us. He wants us to use it. In fact, in verse 6, Romans 12, 6, that goes on and says, having then gifts differing. So we have been given different gifts and abilities. Gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us. So God has dealt every man a measure of faith, and he's given to us the grace of God to use those, to exercise that faith, to use those gifts. Again, in Romans 15, 15, Nevertheless, brethren, I have written the more boldly unto you in in some sort, as putting you in mind because of the grace that is given to me of God. You know, there was much... Paul exercised great faith. And great grace was given to him. In fact, he says in 1 Corinthians 15, 10, But by the grace of God I am what I am. And His grace which was bestowed upon me was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all. Yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. You see, when we will exercise faith in the Lord, we can by His grace grow in our usefulness and our being governed by His divine power. Well, you know, we must allow God to do it. Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, he says, Being confident this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it till the day of Jesus Christ. God wants to continue to work in your life until he takes you home. So we're to grow in grace. We're also to grow in knowledge. Knowledge is general intelligence or understanding. So we're to grow in intelligence, discernment, uh, and we're to be diligent in it. Verse 14 says, Wherefore, seeing beloved, or beloved, seeing that ye look for such things, be diligent that ye be found of him in peace without spot and blameless. Uh, and then in verse, uh, uh, again, verse 18, Grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So we have to have some knowledge. If we're going to be without spot and blameless, we have to have some knowledge. We have to know what it is that pleases the Lord how to be without spot and how to be blameless in his sight. You know, the word blameless has the idea of, you somebody could accuse you of something and it won't stick. You know, somebody could come to me and say, you know what that Howard Hoyle did? And knowing Brother Hoyle, my first reaction would say, I don't believe it. And You know, there are things said about different people, you know, politicians. There's all kinds of stuff said about Mike Pence. You know what? It don't stick. Because Mike Pence has a reputation of being blameless. No one's yet ever accused him of sexual assault. Because he don't eat with women without his wife. He don't he don't, you know, go places with women without his wife. You know, he, he's he's blameless. If somebody accused him of that, it wouldn't stick. Jesus said it to his enemies, "Which of you convinced me of sin?" They could have said something, but it wouldn't have stuck, because everybody knew he never. Everybody knew that he needed not sin. So what is it that pleases the Lord? And so that requires knowledge, understanding, discernment. It takes study. It takes effort. 2 Timothy 2.15 says, Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. So that requires reading, studying. Look at Second or First Timothy, chapter four. Yeah, <clears throat> you know, there was an interesting study, and I think it was in two thousand three. A uh, his first name was Jason. I do remember that much. Can't remember the last the guy's last name. Um, he did a survey of young preachers. Now, young fundamentalists—they called them young fundamentalist preachers in America. And what was it? I'm trying to remember the exact figures. I think it was 30 percent of them. 30 percent of preachers. Admitted that they didn't have devotions more than two or three times a week. Preachers. Is it any wonder why our churches are the way they are? And God's people are so ignorant and lack discernment? It's because we don't study. We don't read. You know, we live in a readerless age. People don't read. How you learn? Paul told Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 13 till I come, give attendance to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. So reading is reading. I don't think it's talking about just the Bible either. Exhortation would be preaching. The idea of preaching to doctrine is Bible truth. Somebody said this: "Quote, readers are leaders, and leaders read." Unquote. And I observed that successful people read. They read. Even pastors. You know, I give you names of something. They read extensively. Now, he taught some heresies. But he had, he had, he was as smart as a whip. It was Peter Ruckman. And I was told by a preacher that knew him well, he read a book every day since he was 10 years old. See, if we need we need to be readers. Um, Find this online. Says, and it's an article. Here's why your brain needs to read every single day by Brandon Spector. When it comes to your brain, researchers have found there's no better superfood than a book. Uh, I'm not going to read all this for sake of time, but a Yale School of Public Health dug into 12 years of data about reading and habits and health of more than 3,600 men and women over the age of 50. People who read books, fiction or nonfiction, poetry or prose, for as little as 30 minutes a day over several years were living in an average of two years longer than people who didn't read anything at all. Uh, You may be already familiar with the recent findings that suggest children as young as six months who read books and with their parents several times a week show stronger literacy skills four years later, score higher on intelligence tests, and land better jobs than non-readers. Recent research argues that reading may be just as important in adulthood. When practiced over a lifetime, reading and language acquisition skills can support healthy brain functioning in big ways. Simply put, word power increases brain power. To understand why and what each of us can do to get the most out of our words, start by asking the same question the Yale team did. What is it about reading books in particular that boosts our brain power, whereas reading newspapers and magazines doesn't? And we would put in there also on screens. For one, the researchers posit, chapter books encourage deep reading. Unlike, say, skimming a page of headlines, reading a book, forces your brain to think critically and make connections from one chapter to another and to the outside world. When you make connections, so does your brain, literally forging new pathways between regions and all four lobes and both hemispheres. Over time, these neural networks can promote quicker thinking and may provide a greater defense against the worst effects of cognitive decay. Um, They believe that even reading helps fight Alzheimer's. I've been saying for a long time, I don't know if I've been saying it, but I'm going to say it this morning. I think there's a connection between television and Alzheimer's. You know, muse means to think. What does television do to you? It amuses you. It means not think. When you watch television, do you exercise brain power? No, you do it to turn it off. And this article says it may help fight Alzheimer's disease. Reading puts your brain to work. That's a very good thing. Those who engage their brains through activities such as reading, chess, or puzzles could be two and a half times less likely to develop Alzheimer's disease than those who spend their downtime on less stimulating activities. Uh, Just some things reading will do for you. Mental stimulation, stress relief, education, better memory, improves concentration, vocabulary expansion, knowledge, stronger analytical skills, better writing skills. You know, teaching young children to read helps them develop language skills. Also helps them learn to listen. Um, there are many benefits to reading. You know, we need to be readers. And Paul told Timothy here, in 1 Timothy 4 again, he says in verse 13, Till I come, give attendance to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. Neglect not the gift that is in thee, which is given thee by the prophecy, the laying on of the hands of the presbytery. Meditate upon these things. Give thyself wholly to them. Give yourself wholly to reading, exhortation, and to doctrine. That thy profiting may appear. Timothy, if you give yourself to these things, it's going to show to everyone. We live in an age of ignorance. Partially is a big part of it is people don't read, and we've also rewritten the books. A lot of what's out there of history has been rewritten. You see, God wants us. We should be people of knowledge. Even Paul. You know, Paul was well-read. A well-read man. And and when he was in Athens, you know who he quoted? Their own poets. He said, even your own poets say. Acts chapter 17. I think it is. He quoted their own poets. (laughs) See, God wants us have understanding to grow in grace that our life would manifest the anticipation of his coming and he wants us to grow in knowledge when we grow in knowledge we can better understand the word of God and apply it to our life and we can better witness to people about the Lord Jesus Christ Because it will help us to think analytically and give a reason of the hope that lieth within us with meekness and fear. So as we face another year with all its trials and its tests, with all the turmoil that we see in the world, we ought to continue to look for the promise of his coming. And as we look for the promise of his coming, continue to grow in his grace, in his knowledge, that we might be an effective witness. You know, people are still looking for a reason. A reason to live. A purpose in life. And if we, if we have, can have understanding of God's word, we have purpose. We have meaning to life. And God wants us to have the, the intelligence and the knowledge and understanding to be able to pass that on to those who would ask us of the reason of the hope that lieth within us. God's grace... is sufficient and we can have the knowledge through him spending time in his word reading meditating upon his promises to be an effective witness in 2019 we can know him we have to know him we can know him we can have that certainty do you have that certainty this morning you know, he's, it's certain he's coming, and you can know with certainty that he's coming for you.